You're listening to Kevin Stock Radio. All right, I think we're recording. So I got Scott with me today. He runs Carnivore Cast, and it's just a great podcast. And <laughs> so Scott, I tell people all the time. I I was you know lucky enough to be one of the you know first people on your podcast. I was like, yeah, Scott is a phenomenal host uh, as far as like all the research you did, the questions you asked. Like you are on the money. So I I mean I got big shoes to try and fill today. I'm sure I'm not gonna be able to live up to it, but uh, I'm excited to chat. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Those are really kind words and I'll, I'll do my best to live up to them. But yeah, I appreciate you coming on early. It's been over a year, which is crazy. It's about time to have you back on. Um, and I've followed, you know, Meat Health and all the work you've done on kevinstock.io. Look forward to your newsletter every week. So um, really, really appreciate all the work you're doing. Thanks. So I'm gonna put you on spot for what initial question and then we'll I'm yeah. dive. so this is kind Let's of like the, this is the format i'd like to take just what i had in mind and we can deviate i just wanted one question on the top of my mind and then i want to hear about your recent carb experiment your salt experiment uh and then we'll, we'll take it from there let's do it so my initial question is you have you've now had a lot like a lot you've had a lot of really interesting people on your podcast a lot of interesting discussions i've listened to a lot of them uh is there one that comes to the top of your head first thing is like Wow, that was the most like unique, either in a good way or a bad way, just a different perspective now that you were expecting. Uh, any particular guests that just, you know, kind of stood out, like not what you were expecting. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the guests I've loved, but a lot of them have been on many podcasts. So yeah. it's hard to be completely surprised or blown out of the water by them. That's but true. I also yeah. try to balance, you know, researchers and doctors and, and folks like yourself who people are usually familiar with, with some N equals one case studies. Yeah. Um, and so some of those I would say have been really just flooring like Nevada Gray, the paleo pharmacist coming on for the first time talking about her quad equina syndrome being like wheelchair bound spinal surgery and just like digging her way out through sheer resilience and perseverance. Um, similar with Brett Lloyd overcoming decades of major depression with yeah. diet um so i'd say some of those have really really blown me away you know what that I, that's I sh it doesn't really surprise me because you know i've been on a number of podcasts and while what you know the the focus of those podcasts might be different like on the hpo podcast they really want to focus on oral health which i which on most podcasts i actually don't even talk about that much uh but for the most part like i the same general message i'd say uh, with, you know, nuance here and I, I'm always trying to add stuff, but it's like, you know, you would, I mean, I almost have to regurgitate some of the stuff, you know, from place to place. I can't, I don't have original things to say every single time on a podcast. Sure. So that, I mean, it doesn't really surprise me. And on this podcast, uh, I, you know, I've had some, some unequal one that I think, you know, it, and you, you see unique perspectives with, with unequal ones. Uh, so yeah, I totally, that, that's a interesting answer. So Cool. Now let's talk about some of your N equal ones. The most recent one. Let's start with the most recent one because I've been talking about carbs a lot lately. Uh, yeah. So let and I know you experimented with them. So let, let, let's let's hear a little bit about the backstory. Uh, yeah, just for for listeners that aren't totally familiar with your sure. story, how long you've been carnivore, and then kind of lead us up into the the carb experiment. 
Yeah. So similar to you, I'd been carnivore for three years leading up yep. into my most recent experiment starting in fall of 2016. I believe it was a combination of Amber O'Hearn going on the Two Keto Dudes podcast, um, as well as following Ash Simmons. Um, yep. He's carnivore's creed for a long time. I think he's been carnivore for like over 15 years or, or, or close to it. Um, and so listening to them convinced me to kind of like take take the leap from meat heavy keto into full carnivore um, and had a lot of problems over the years with digesting fat, eating too much ground beef, eating too much suet, rendered fat, just yeah. just doing really stupid stuff before there was a lot of good information out there like your guide and Paul Saladino and others um, giving people valuable information about how to start a carnivore diet. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of experimenting with myself, but through those three years, I had one or two weeks where I tried to reintroduce foods um, like vegetables. I tried to go more keto to do a keto gain style cut at one point yep. um, with you know some spinach and avocado and things like that. But other than that, for the full three years, I had no cheats, no sugary yeah. foods, no starches, um, hardly any dairy at all, even yeah. almost just red meat and um, fish. Yep. And um, on average, I found tracking very closely for a long time that to maintain my body weight of about 168 pounds, I need 2,800 to 3,000 calories a day. Yep. Um, I walk a lot. I walk 10 to 12,000 steps a day. I lift four times a week. Um, I'm a young, you know, 27 year old male. So I need a fair amount of calories just to stay not losing weight. And, yep. um, you know, I have a, a past of cutting and being really skinny from lightweight rowing for many years. So I want to catch up and get my muscle mass now before I get older. Um, cause I know it gets harder and harder. And so one of my goals is to put on muscle mass. And so I, I try to eat more on the carnivore diet. And typically my baseline is, you know, three to three and a half pounds, but I found that especially after listening to folks like Dr. Paul Saladino, the Strong Sisters, others, Amber O'Hearn, that um, I feel best mentally um, and physically on a slightly higher fat ratio than I would otherwise by default eat. So I was just um, going to ask you about that. So by default, I I stay in the you know hundred to hundred and sixty grams of fat and 300 plus grams of protein a day range. Yep. That's kind of my default where I feel best. Um, or, or where I naturally tend towards, which is, you know, eating probably three to three and a half pounds of um, fatty-ish meat and then some ground beef with the fat cooked off. It's actually really hard to get equal grams of fat and protein if you're just cooking meat. Yeah. So um, I've tried more recently experiments with higher fat. So getting my fat up to um, you know, 175 or 200 grams. So I can bring the protein down a little bit, still yeah. well above one gram per pound of body weight, but you know, where I'm, I'm operating off more fat because I don't think gluconeogenesis is a demand driven process where you eat a bunch of protein and it just turns into sugar in your blood or converts right. into glucose. Right. But if you have really, you're eating no carbs, um, and you're eating less fat, like less than 150 grams, um, all of a sudden your body needs to get energy from somewhere. Yeah. So that's what starts gluconeogenesis. It has to pull the glucose from your protein, which I yep. think is sub-optimal. Um, I think really protein is a building block. It shouldn't be an energy source. So I didn't like the idea of getting a lot of my fuel from protein. Okay. So I, I decided to try upping my fat, felt great, felt better mentally, felt a little better physically. So your fat digestion, which was a problem, no longer a problem. 
wasn't a problem um, on because after the first year, I figured out, you know, don't eat rendered fat, don't yep. eat all the suet or, or all the tallow cooking off ground beef. Um, and I was eating just like fattier steaks, things like that. Still, um, those macros I talked about earlier of like less than 150 grams of fat and way more protein. Yep. But I wanted to try to get this more ketogenic type ratio, more yep. 70% fat, 30% protein. Yep. Um, and so I was doing that. I tried, I've tried everything. I've tried it with butter. I've tried it with ghee. I've tried it with um, raw beef suet. Um, I've tried it with marrow. But time and time again, I find for two, two and a half weeks, I feel great cruising on that. Yep. feel really good, better, like 20% better mentally and physically. But like clockwork, after the two, two and a half week mark, sometime in the middle of the night, like eight hours, 10 hours away from my last meal, and it'll be a small meal too, my last meal of the day, yeah. I'll get really bad bloating, stomach grumbling, and burping. Really? Um, in, at like 3 a.m., at like 3 a.m. And it's almost unbearable. And it always happens after like two, two and a half weeks of eating the higher fat ratios. Consistently after that? So two and a half weeks and it becomes a consistent problem, not just like a one night off thing? Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, it it comes for like two or three nights and then I drop it down to to the higher protein, lower fat, and I feel great again. But I, I don't get all the really awesome ketone benefits of being on that higher fat ratio. So all that, that's all the context. Sorry no, for being great. long-winded that, there. Yeah, that's um, great. But a lot of people I talked to have found the same thing that when they try to do the higher fat, they're they're. I think it's insufficient bile. Um, Rob Wolf talks about something like 90 to 99% of people have low stomach acid. Yeah. So they really can't break down um, that much fat. They have trouble yep. digesting it. Yep. And so um, I, I basically over the years have said to myself, how can I get more energy, not from protein. So finally, you know, after struggling with the higher fat forever, um, and so many people saying, why don't you just try some rice? Why don't you just try some carbs? I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. Yep. Um, so about two months ago, I made a decision to do a carb reintroduction experiment. I started with more benign sources like honey and low sugar fruit, like blueberries, and eventually moved up to sources starchier like rice um, and oatmeal and even a small amount of vegetables. Oh, you ventured and, into oatmeal. I didn't even risk oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I went all the way there. Um, I was basically eating a bodybuilder style diet, yeah. you know, 50 yeah. to 75 grams of fat, over 300 grams of carbs a day, and um, over one gram per pound of protein. And yeah, that's, that's where I kind of ended up and uh, followed that for three to four weeks. Okay, so our like history, not only but also like our size, like we are very, very similar as far as yeah. what we eat for how long we've done it. We did a carb experiment around the same amount of time, uh, which I just I just find that fascinating. How how tall are you? I'm five foot nine and a half. Okay, so I'm like <laughs> I'm like five eleven. So I'm just I just got a, a little bit of height, but I'm roughly the same weight. So you probably have a lot more muscle mass than I do. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say that. Um, a question I had about uh, the fat before we get into the carbs. Uh, did you notice any impact on body composition? Um, I did retain a little bit more water, uh, or, or before the carbs. Sorry, yeah, um, any carbs. body composition? Yes, like with, weight, with the higher fat. With the higher yeah. fat, my my body comp went down. My weight went down at least. 
Um, I don't know. I don't have a good way of measuring whether I was getting leaner. My waist right. size did shrink a little bit, um, but it could be that the fat was just so satiating that my my calories were going down a little bit. Yeah, um, and I, I always worry about. I, See, if you were actually like restricting calories, like I know you were doing more of like trying to build muscle, which I'm like, okay, you're safe. But people that want the high fat with the caloric restriction, then protein gets really low. And then, yeah. and they're like, oh, I'm losing weight. I'm losing weight. Uh, and it, a lot of times it's a lean body mass. I'm like, that's not the weight you want to be losing. <laughs> and like, I, I learned that, you know, years ago in a bad keto experiment where I, I lost a ton of muscle doing just exactly that, trying to you know, stay in deep ketosis, deep nutritional ketosis and, uh, and limit calories, kind of do a cut, you know, I wasn't even limiting calories that much. Uh, and the scale kept dropping and, you know, I wanted to say that I was losing, you know, body fat, but it's like, I became softer. Like I was like, I may not have like gained body fat, but I lost lean body mass. So my body fat percentage likely went up. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Do you think, do you think that could have been like, um, at least when, when I did that, I was definitely eating less food volume, you know, like, like fat is naturally denser calorically. Right. Exactly. Um, so, so like even on the first day, it was like the scale went down a pound to a pound and a half yeah. just from going from eating three pounds of meat to like a pound and a half of meat and a lot of fat. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that definitely probably plays a role in it. I mean, the scale moves so much and like my appearance changed so much cause I was very much committed to the keto experiment that I was doing at that time. Uh, and man, it, it, I lost a lot of muscle and going into the experiment, you know, I've read a lot of research, you know, ketosis and, you know, muscle sparing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, obviously like for me, like protein is very important macronutrients and I like go too low for body composition reasons. But like you said, like when I eat just fatty meat, uh, not really trying to manipulate the macros so much, but it's probably close to ketogenic ratios. If you're eating like, you know, chuck eye steaks, ribeyes, whatever, you know, fattier cuts of meat. Uh, that's, that's, that's when I feel my best. Now for me, it won't result in my best body composition, but I'll feel the best mentally performance, sleep. Everything is the best when I do that. Yeah. Everything else is kind of a compromise of, you know, if I want to yeah. Tinker with body composition in certain ways. How much worse would you say you feel mentally on like the higher protein approach? Because I've seen your Instagram pictures. You're eating like pretty lean meats. Um, so do yeah. you feel like you're really dragging or just like 20% difference, 10% difference? So what I'll do uh, is I'll always eat my fattiest meal in the morning. Uh, so that meal is almost always like a ketogenic ratio of 70-30 or so. Uh, and then what will happen is I'll eat leaner throughout the day. And, you know, I think more of an impact on mental is if I'm in a caloric restriction versus a caloric surplus. I think that is more of a impact for me because your energy is just lower when you're in a, you know, when you, when you're not, when you don't have as much energy, when you're not yeah, eating yeah. as much calories. Totally. So, I mean, the, the, like the real question is if I'm eating at least, isocaloric in a, in a surplus on both heavier protein, heavier fat. What's the difference? I think it's probably pretty negligible. Uh, but like you said, there might be, there's just so many other factors that might impact it that I can't say statistically significant uh, way that, you know, one is better than the other. Sure. Sure. So, but I, I don't ever people, I think maybe I've led people to believe that I eat leaner than I do because 
I don't think it's that lean. Like you said, I'm probably eating at least 100 grams of fat a day on lean days, which, you know, that's still not like I'm on a low fat diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like a protein sparing modified fast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about your carb experiment. Sure. What, 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 what happened? What surprised you? What didn't yeah. surprise you? So what happened was interesting. Um, so I'll start with like mental. So, or, or I'll start with what happened in the first week. In the first week, I was surprised that I didn't have a lot of indigestion. Um, I was surprised that I tolerated the carbs from a GI perspective pretty well. I didn't have a lot of bloating, stomach grumbling. With the honey. Yeah, with honey, with blueberries, um, even blueberries, with rice. Blueberries have bananas. some fiber. Right? So the, the fiber is what I, you know, if someone went from no fiber and, you know, slammed 50 grams in a day, yeah. I think there would probably be likely some indigestion issues. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like I, I did the fiber experiment and I did 40 grams over two days and I was totally fine. Yeah. I was about at about 20 grams a day. Yeah. Um, and, and similar to you, totally fine. Um, so that surprised me. I thought there would have some effect at least. Um, what didn't surprise me was mentally, I felt a lot of brain fog and sort oh, of hypoglycemia um, yeah. from meals. Um, I mean, I was, I was having a lot of carbs, like, like I said, over 300 grams. That's what you said. You you were slamming them back. Yeah. So, uh, basically, you know, about two and a half hours, three hours after a meal, I would, I would, my energy would come way down and I would get pretty hungry. Yeah. Um, So both hunger and mental energy, uh, waxed and waned a lot more. So right from the start, were you eating 300 grams or did you ramp up? I ramped up over a couple days. Um, but I more, I was more gradual with the sources, um, reintroducing one source at a time, but it was less gradual with the total amount. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I would say, um, my workouts didn't really change. Um, didn't feel less or more tired, um, in the gym, didn't feel better or worse pumps. Um, didn't feel like, you know, more muscle pain at the end of a set or more of the burn people talk about with carbs. Um, I did feel, and, and so that was kind of the first week, um, sleep wasn't really affected. Any testing as far as blood glucose or ketones or anything like that? I did not. I did not. Um, oh, I did test ketones, not blood glucose. For some reason, I got this keto mojo. It's horrible at reading <laughs> blood glucose. Yeah. Um, for some reason, every single time I, I do the finger prick and put my blood in for blood glucose, it says low, like not enough blood, but it always works for ketones. Huh. So anyway, I was kicked out of ketosis right away. Yeah. Um, and I was, like I said, energy surges and crashes. Second week, those went away. Yeah. After seven to 10 days. So similar to Danny Vega, I, I believe spoke about on your show, is that the blood glucose surges and crashes leveled out. It was almost like my body got a little bit better at adjusting to the, the blood glucose and, yeah. and modulating that. Yeah. It's almost like you, and I wrote about it in, the, in, the, in a recent article on carbs, is like after long-term carb restriction, the body, just kind of like in keto, you have to get fat adapted. You have to like readapt to carbohydrates. And a lot of it has yeah. to, you know, insulin receptors and such, but, uh, it's really super interesting. So you did roughly 300 grams every day. Uh, how did you break those out over meals? Yeah. So, um, typical day was, uh, a bowl, uh, one cup worth of dry oatmeal for breakfast. So that's like 
350 calories. I want to say like 50 grams of carbs with a cup of blueberries, which is like 80 calories. So maybe 20 ish grams of carbs. Um, and then a couple eggs and maybe a yogurt or, um, a turkey breast, a small turkey breast. And then, um, pre-workout, I would have like a banana and a whey protein shake. Um, post-workout meal was like half a cup of raw rice. So maybe I think that's like two cups of cooked rice. Um, and then a little more Turkey and maybe a small amount of vegetables. And then final meal of the day would be like some Greek yogurt and the other two cups of rice, um, and maybe another piece of fruit and a small amount of vegetables. And then I would have some honey, um, before bed. So it sounds like you replaced fat with carbohydrates. Pretty much. Pretty so much. you you kept protein moderately moderate to you know high enough got dropped fats up to, uh, carbohydrates exactly and you did this for how long four weeks about four weeks with a couple days break in between so um, basically I like changed my mind right in the middle <laughs> <laughs> went back to carnivore for three days and then I was like no like I should I should finish this um, and went back to it. Um, and then finally, um, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll finish kind of what happened. So week two, still feeling good, starting to get some stomach upset, fiber amount hadn't changed. I was starting to get more bloating and gas during the day. Um, and a little bit of that stomach upset during the night that I got with fat, but not too bad, very tolerable. Week three, um, is where I was starting to feel like my performance was like back to where it was in the gym or maybe like 5% better. It's very subjective. Um, like I almost felt like I could move between sets at the end of the workout quicker than on carnivore. Um, be, I don't know if that's having my glucose stores more full glycogen stores more full with carbs or whatever. Um, but towards the end of week three is when, um, this, my stomach pain got really bad. I was getting very bloated. Basically what I describe happens after high fat carnivore for two, two and a half weeks in the middle of the night. I felt like that all day long. Um, and I felt like I was having bad gas during the day, during my workouts. You talk a lot about this, like even if something would boost your workout performance, if you feel like you're having GI distress, which is inhibiting your workout, it's totally not worth it, right? Um, 100%. Like to me, yeah. the two most important things to have a good workout is good digestion and the right mental attitude towards the workout. Everything else exactly. is almost secondary. To totally, that. totally. And so um, I'd say both were affected. Uh, and so I was like, man, this this is really not going well. And the, the fiber was the same. I, I kept checking. I monitored everything very closely in, in chronometer. And I was still at 20 grams of fiber, still same amount of fruit, still same foods. And it just started getting really bad. And then basically two or three nights in a row at the end of week four is when um, it was um, oh, still bearable during the day, but bad um, with the bloating and gas. But then in the middle of the night, just like with the high fat, hmm. really, really bad burping, bloating, gas, couldn't sleep, kept waking up, very painful pressure in my stomach. Um, and again, far away from meals. Um, but I, I basically um, just like felt horrible and eventually pulled the plug. I was like, I can't do this. I need to reset back to carnivore. Went back to carnivore for the next day I felt amazing. It was like, my stomach was totally clear. Um, I, I felt good mentally. Um, it was nice to eat fatty meat again. Yeah. Um, and, and even my next day or two in the gym weren't, 
weren't bad at all. It wasn't like I was like totally depleted or something like that. Yeah. And then um, I actually went a little bit higher fat for a few days. So I was eating um, cod liver for in, in a tin um, for breakfast with some eggs. And I was trying to, you know, restrict protein just down to like a gram per pound of body weight for a few days keeping my fat higher. Um, because I know that's bad for me after two weeks, like I said, but for a few days I can do it. I was basically trying to aid myself back into ketosis. Um, and I had about, I would say four to five hours of, of keto flu on like the third day. I was just going to ask you if you had any re-adaptation symptoms. I did. I did. Uh, It was pretty minor, but I was monitoring my electrolytes really well. I was going overboard on the electrolytes. But uh, yeah, day three or four, I think it was, after like multiple full body workouts. Which is when they would hit typically though on day three or four. Yeah. And and I was like, and I was checking my ketones this whole time. I wasn't in ketosis until like day five. Um, which is interesting. It took longer than I thought, but yeah, yeah, around day four is when, you know, sometime around three in the afternoon, uh, you know, after multiple meals, I was starting to get a little bit of a fever, felt a headache coming on, felt pretty low energy. Like I hadn't eaten enough that day. Um, yeah. and then, you know, by, by the time I went to bed, it felt fine. Okay. So very minor. Yeah. Okay. That is, it wasn't like, you know, keto flu for a week or for a month or anything like no that. nothing like that yeah and then and then that night i registered i think 2.0 ketones mm-hmm. um and the next morning i was like 1.5 isn't so. that interesting like you weren't registering anything and then you got felt like terrible and then you start registering you yeah know, yeah for that transition yeah yeah so in the carb experiment I know you were using a lot of different, not a lot, but different carb sources. Did you try and right. isolate any individual one? Like, oh, this one I'm doing okay with. This one is just no good. Yeah. So I did that on the introduction. Upon introduction, I was testing them. Um, and I would say the only thing that started to upset me, everything was fine is, is kind of the high level story. But the thing yeah. that started to upset me were like cruciferous vegetables. So whenever I tried anything like cauliflower or broccoli, even like really small amounts cooked well from frozen, um, that's the only thing where my stomach was like, no. But, you know, different kinds of fruits all seemed fine. Bananas, blueberries, um, oranges, etc. Um, different kinds of uh, dairy, like yogurt, cottage yeah. cheese, all seemed fine. Um, and yeah, rice was great. Rice, rice is just like my body just like eats it up like yeah. a sponge. So that's really interesting. Mine's similar. Like for me, the one grain that I could eat would be white rice. And I pretty much never have like negative symptoms. Like I feel terrible. Besides, you know, there's one, I, I ate some pre-workout once and then I had some indigestion, but maybe too close to the workout. Uh, low sugar fruits, like you're saying, I tend to do okay with like an avocado or some berries. Uh, the one that surprised me in mine was potatoes. Cause I, you know, I figured mm. I was pressure cooking them. I was peeling them. Uh, and sometimes I'd eat them and I would be like, no big deal. It was fine. And other times I was like, I felt horrible. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. I totally forgot about this one. Sweet potatoes ruined me. <laughs> ruined me. Um, terrible. The hypothesis as to why? It, it has to have something to do with like the type of fiber or something, or I, I don't even know. Um, Maybe the and, alkaloids. Yeah. That's it, what I'm it, it, on. Both potatoes and sweet potatoes um, 
I, I tested and both were really bad. It was like, I, I felt like I had just eaten like five quest bars or something. <laughs> like yeah. The amount of bloat and gas. And it was just like, how did you, you cook them? How, did you eat those um, skin? I did. Uh, I, I've done both. I did both skin and no skin. Um, yeah. And it seemed to have a similar effect, but I think when I had this skin, I had a sweet potato that I, I boiled and then ate the skin and that was pretty bad. I think that was worse. Yeah. Cause for my, when I did that experiment, like I used a pressure cooker and I, pre- I overcooked them. I was like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to annihilate this thing overcooked <laughs> them. And I very aggressively peeled it. So, and I, I, you know, I felt terrible. Uh, and an interesting thing, maybe you, you can talk about this a little bit if you experienced any of this, uh, when I'm just eating carnivore, I have like no body odor. I don't have any gas ever. I eat carbs, body odor comes back, you know, bloating. Some There's some gas created, uh, but with carnivore, none. So did you, do you notice any of those two things? I know you mentioned the bloating a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Bloating and gas definitely came back with carbs um, to a high degree. You yeah. know, it, it was night and day. It was totally different than um, on carnivore, on carnivore, it, it feels like I'm lighter on my feet. I have no stomach symptoms after a meal. I feel good. Um, you know, people, it's really interesting. Um, there's a guy on Twitter. Um, I think his tag is like miles high life. He's a, um, he's in great, great shape. I think he's a personal trainer. I think he does CrossFit and he's talked about eating like a large carnivore meat meal and working out like half hour later or an yeah. hour later. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> but, I personally don't like to. Yeah. But uh you definitely feel you don't feel like heavy and like you know food is like you don't feel yourself digesting food as much yeah. in a carnivore. Yeah, you're 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 more okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. So do you have any do you have any future plans of trying carbohydrates in the future what's your future plans yeah i i, I mean I, I said this on my own podcast i haven't ruled out carbs um i haven't ruled them out as a potential solution i think a carnivore diet will always be my baseline and i think it is the best baseline diet for most people especially folks with autoimmune issues yeah. and i think if you're on a carnivore diet and you're happy with the way your weight is trending don't change a thing. Um, if you happen to be one of the rare people who both doesn't have any autoimmune issues and um, is losing too much weight on the carnivore diet um, and doesn't tolerate fat or can't can't get more calories in from something like dairy, then maybe think about something like Stan Efferding's vertical diet, where it's mostly meat, but you have things like rice or honey or um, maybe milk um, to the extent you tolerate those foods. Uh, yeah. to help you get the right amount of calories in. Um, but first choice would always be carnivore. Yeah, something I haven't really talked about much. People get, are asking me to talk about more of my training and things like that. Uh, and when I had the podcast with the Strong Sisters, uh, we talked about that they're like, yeah, they they view carbs as just kind of like a supplement, basically, in a, in a pantry. I'm like, I, I like that view. Uh, but even for the, my perspective on it is, most people that are going that have body composition goals, especially muscle building, like if they're in like an early stage of training, like, you know, they're kind of new in the gym and they, they haven't been there day in and day out for years and years. 
I think mostly like you don't need that, that supplement yet. Like if anything, I think that supplement would be better for someone who's been in the gym for a long time. Who's done the carnivore diet for a long, you know, has the solid foundation and they're trying to make gain. It basically, you know, you you need the next step to make the next level of gains. And, and that might be, I think a more appropriate use for carbohydrates. Whereas I, I think a lot of people, you know, I don't want to mislead people because I think, Early on, if they're just starting a carnivore diet, like you shouldn't be thinking about uh, carbs as a supplement to your workout. Like I think you should build that foundation. You should make the muscle gains on that foundation, and only after you know you're kind of hitting plateaus, which happens after years, not after months, uh, where you're like, okay, let's let's throw in a supplement. Yeah, how, how about yourself? Like I know you you ended the post saying. Um, following your, your main experiments, you had done some things with like pre-workout, peri-workout, post-workout. Yeah, I did that. Um, where, where are you at with, with your carb experiments and, and what do you think you're going to do going forward? So I, I, I went back to just eating meat. I mean, cause I feel the best that way, you know, it's winter. I thought about like last winter, I did a six month carnivore bulk and like, I noticeably put on weight, like body fat and muscle. Uh, and I was, I was going to think about like doing a you know, this winter doing that same kind of thing with carbs as a supplement and just to compare the two, I haven't done it just because like, I, I don't, you know, body composition is not a top priority for me. Like it used to be when I was a little bit younger. Uh, it's still a high priority. Like I still want to be building muscle. I like, you know, et cetera, but I very much value feeling good and sleeping good. And, and you know, being able to like have podcast here with you and, I'm, and I am working a lot on various projects so kind of my, my top priority is feeling my best right now. You know, I might continue to try and supplement with a carb here and there. Maybe maybe kind of like a cyclical targeted carnivore would be the, like to the extent I would do it. I don't think I would bring in carbs every day. Uh, you know, at least not, you know, for me, I, I just don't think that would be ideal for my body composition goals, for my performance goals, anything like that. Yeah. cyclically, you know, I think there's, there's a case for cyclical carbs or, you know, post-workout carbs as a supplement. Uh, if you have a priority on muscle building and I can even see it in a, in a cut used strategically, but this is like, what I'm talking about, like getting ready for competitions and super lean and things like that. Uh, so, I mean, going forward, I know it's not gonna be a big part of my, my diet might be a part here and there. Like, uh, my girlfriend's son, He'd been asking me to eat a treat with him for three years, basically, because, you know, I was like, you know, when you turn eight, I'll, I'll do it. So he had his eighth birthday <laughs> in uh, September. And so, you know, I had a piece of his cake, but I don't I don't need a whole piece of cake. Like, I, I just don't need yeah. that. It doesn't really do anything for me. It tastes good. Sure. But like, you know, but so things like that here and there, as far as like, you know, quote unquote lifestyle. But, you know, as far as like being a significant part of my diet, I don't see that happening yeah, uh, I think that's a, a great approach. As a supplement, maybe. Like, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not, but I'm not going to say like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that experiment just to compare the the two. Yeah, uh, yeah. it would be a pretty big commitment. Yeah, it is, and like, I don't want to. You know, you had when I transitioned into full carnivore, like I felt good right away, but it took like I was talking with uh, Ashley and Sarah about this too on, on the podcast we did. It took like nine months, I would say, before everything felt amazing, where my digestion wow. was on point, like 
digestion felt great. Mentally, I felt great. I was sleeping great. Like it took like, it took a long time to transition to that. Uh, and you know, I don't, it's a lot to have like a little bit of a bodybuilding goal yet sacrifice, you know, another massive, you know, transition. So, you know, long answer, you know, long story short, I, I don't know. It might be it. If, if it is any part, it'll be supplementing post-workout uh, or, you know, those lifestyle occasions. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, totally. So you also did a salt experiment that I yeah. definitely, I definitely think people would enjoy hearing it. So yeah, let, let's yeah. hear about it. Yeah. So, uh, I, again, like some of these things, it's just like, I, I look back at what I've done and I like ask a ton of people questions and I'm having these issues. And then I find the, find out what was happening. I'm like, wow, I was really being an idiot. So it's similar <laughs> with salt. Um, I was salting my food a lot and people say, salt your food to taste. Yeah. Don't worry about how much salt you're eating. Just go ahead and have all the salt you want on carnivore. Your body will, will lead you. And I think that's true for the most part, but a lot of long-term carnivores don't use any salt. That's one thing to note. And then also, um, a lot of people say, like, when you're very carnivore adapted, you need less water, so you can drink less water and have less salt. Yeah. I have always had a ton of water. Yeah. I a lot of water throughout the day. Um, and I was continuing to do that and I was salting my food a lot. It was getting to the point where I would post pictures of my food on Instagram and people would say, what is that white powder all over your food? <laughs> like, and then I would say salt and they'd that, say, no, that's impossible. That is a lot like, of There's salt. no way you're eating that. Uh, my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time would, would eat my food and she couldn't, couldn't stomach it because it was so salty. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay. So I talked to Dr. Paul Saladino and he was like, you should figure out how much salt you're actually consuming. Um, Cause that could be a problem. I was also going to the bathroom a lot throughout the night. And I actually even, I, it got to the point where I was going to the bathroom like eight or nine times a night, which is not normal. And, Whoa. Um, and like I, I saw like some kidney doctors and things like that. And they were like, we have no idea what's going on. All your kidney tests are totally normal. All your blood markers are totally normal. Um, one of your kidneys is smaller than the other, but that's normal. Like they're both yeah. supposed to be like a size 11 and one was like a 13 and a nine. Yeah. Apparently the majority of people actually have that. Um, and so they're like, we don't know what's going on. They did ultrasound, etc. cetera. Um, and so I talked to Dr. Paul Saladino finally, who's like, well, how much salt are you taking in? And I was like, I, I never measured it. I just, you know, I put salt on my food. I have, you know, maybe a teaspoon before my workouts. And, you know, before I go to bed, I have a little bit of salt to, you know, make sure I don't go low salt overnight, um, which is stupid. You know, your body doesn't metabolize salt that fast. So um, I checked and I was having over 40 grams of sodium per day. Holy um, cow. <laughs> and drinking like seven to nine liters of water a day, at least. Yeah. Uh, which both are way too much. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, a lot of people say get at least six grams of sodium on a keto diet. Um, and sodium is different than salt because salt contains uh, sodium and chloride. Yeah, so right. it's different measurements, but, um, for, for reference, like one full teaspoon of, um, pink Himalayan salt is like 2000 ish grams of milligrams of milligrams. sodium. So two grams. So if you have four of those throughout the day, you're at eight, eight grams. So I was having 40 grams of sodium a day. Um, at a least lot of, a lot of salt. Yeah, it's a lot of salt. And, um, you know, I would like salt my food while I cooked it. I would get it on my plate. I would salt it before I eat it. 
And then as I'm cutting through it, I would keep salting it. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, in addition to like the pre-workout salt, the, the bedtime salt. So uh, I, he was like, try to keep it in the eight to 12 gram range. Um, so I, I measured it meticulously for, for a few, like a week, maybe two weeks at most. Yeah. And um, I was less thirsty. What do you know? Yeah, um, so I exactly. drank less water throughout the day. I didn't have to monitor that very closely. Yep. And um, man, like I stopped going to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And that's, you know? that's still an aggressive amount of, of sodium. Yeah. yeah. So. And, and what it was, I, I believe, is my kidneys were actually performing very well. They were clearing the excess sodium um, really effectively. So people say, like Dr. James Nicolantonio, who wrote The Salt Fix, says things like, your body has a mechanism for regulating the amount of sodium in your body, so don't worry about having too much sodium. Well, yeah, it's peeing all night long exactly. <laughs> and like drinking a ton of water. So my body was protecting me and being very efficient at, at disposing of the sodium, but it was still not ideal. Yeah. Um, and so I, I tapered it back and, and released an episode all about this. I think, you know, people should go through a time where, where they monitor their sodium a little bit because, you know, I have people message me and they're saying, I, you know, I don't feel well in carnivore, I'm run down. And I'm like, how much salt are you taking? And they're like, oh, I think a gram per day. Um, and then I have other people who are like, I have no idea. I just salt my food at times. So I, I think, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of tracking long-term meticulously using my fitness pal or whatever, but having a baseline so you at least know where you're at. I totally agree. And I did an easy, I don't, I don't really track sodium, but I did it. I did an easy experiment kind of where, you know, I bought a massive, it was pink Himalayan salt. Like a, yeah. it, was, it was a yeah. lot. I don't remember, but I, I wrote the start date when I opened it. And I'm basically the only one that, that eats out of it. And then the finish date and then basically just do the math and you can figure out how much you're eating. And I, I think I was roughly at eight grams a day, uh, which seemed like, it seems like a lot. And, but so I've done a good amount of research on sodium and my perspective is if you're transitioning into carnivore air on the high side, be aggressive with it. Be with electrolytes and sodium, sodium is the main one. Just I air on the, I tell people to air on the aggressive side with it. Uh, but like you said, you can need that. You can, you can overdo it. Uh, but I mean, as far as like the research, there's people that say like, go super low sodium, you know, uh, I don't think that's a good idea for basically anyone. Uh, and it's, t we, t we typically see like in the research shows a J curve and it's like, yep. that you know, you can go too low is bad, too high is bad, but the J curve is pretty wide. So, you, I mean, if you're doing two grams a day, I think that's pretty low, but that's like the lower end, you know, 12 grams a day is probably the high, a higher end. Uh, but if you're on a keto car or, uh, you know, keto or carnivore diet, you, you, you do tend to, you know, want to be towards the higher end. I agree. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's a super interesting, uh, experiment. I know that would be helpful for other people. And like, like Scott said, for people that are listening, he's, you got a whole episode on, on your podcast about yeah. that. Cool. Very cool. So the last 20 minutes or so, I kind of like talk about what you, you see, I think it's amazing because you've now interviewed, you know, very intelligent people, people with different experiences. You've learned a lot. Do you have any major learnings that, that you could share with me and the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, a, a few come to mind. I would say um, one major one is just the value of self-experimentation. Yeah. Um, so you and I both do it. I think it's easy to 
trick yourself into, you know, finding someone on the internet who's had success with a certain protocol or, you know, following Sean Baker, following Paul Saladino, trying to do exactly what they're doing, hearing a new podcast and just saying, I'm going to do what that person did. Um, and so I think it's really, it's hard. It's very hard to be objective and honest with yourself. But um, I think, you know, everyone can benefit from just trying things for, uh, even if you only give things like a week or two at a time, um, to see how you fare. Um, because, and I think you've been a master at this, Kevin, which is you eliminated everything from your diet and then you slowly reintroduced even things like eggs um, yeah. and liver and you monitored how it affected your appetite, your body composition, your mental state and your digestion and things like that. And I think a lot of people um, are looking – what's so great about the carnivore diet is it's a simple plan that people can follow very easily. But um, – by by just following that plan and not finding out what version of it and what small intricacies, fat, protein, fasting, not fasting, salt, no salt, et cetera, work well for you, um, number of meals per day, et cetera, um, you know, you're you're missing out. It yeah. could be better. Um, and you know, while I ended up finding like my good baseline is like 100 to 150 grams of fat per day and over 300 grams of protein. And, and Kevin's pretty similar. Yeah. Um, there are many people out there who feel awful if they go above 100 grams of protein per day or 150, and they need to have a much higher fat uh, ratio. And, you know, people with things like depression need to have like a blasting level of ketones to, to stay in a good mental state. Um, so I think self-experimentation is just absolutely critical and I really advocate it for a lot of people. That's great. And I think one thing we could highlight here that you mentioned is there are a lot of things that you can experiment with. Now, I it's easy to get overwhelmed with that kind of information be like, how can I possibly experiment with different foods, different macros, different, you know, timing meals. Like there's a lot of things that you can experiment with. Uh, and you know, one of the reasons I wrote that guide those a few years ago was to lay a framework down for people to think about experimentation. And I, I think I unconsciously laid it out that framework to say, look, you create a baseline and then you can, you know, test variables off that baseline, but find the baseline, find what feels good. And then you can, you, can, you know, you can manipulate from there and you can ma manipulate your way down to the baseline. As you're saying is like, you know, if you're just eating all meat, but not really tracking anything and things aren't right, well, try, you know, going higher fat, uh, you know, et cetera. Make sure you're not eating 40 grams of sodium a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. But yeah, that's, that's, that's great. So you also, and I know we were going to talk about a little bit about your podcast uh, learnings, uh, but I, you're interested in sleep. You've done yeah, sleep experiments. Yeah. I know you have learnings around sleep. So Yeah, for sure. So, what, um, so I mean, you've covered on your podcast and in post um, a lot of the major ones, um, things that help with sleep. Um, I'll say the things that I found most effective are um, the things you hear all the time, having your last meal of the day earlier. So for hmm. me, it needs to be by five, by, by four hours before bedtime. Um, if I'm within four hours of bedtime, even if it's super small meal, like half a pound of meat, um, lean meat, it starts affecting my deep sleep in the middle mm -hmm. of the night as measured by an aura ring. We can argue till the cows come home about how accurate that is. Yeah. But um, I, I also feel it. 
you know, if, if I have a meal at 7 p.m., I'm definitely having a bad night's sleep. Um, and I'd say, uh, you know, also tapering my food intake throughout the day has helped. So having my biggest meal in the early part of the day and a big meal at lunch and then a very small dinner. Um, other I like comp- that, that helps for me, not just sleep, but like as far as like people that a lot of people have body composition goals. And to me, that's one of the, like, the easiest things you can do is structure your meals that way. Yeah. Because you don't need, like, if you eat a small dinner, you don't need to be, you know, that's only got to get you a few hours, you know? Yeah, so exactly. And, um, and you don't need all that energy at the end of the day. I yeah. think like fasting and then having a huge dinner just never made sense to me. Um, and a lot of people can script their hormones that way. Um, I think getting sunshine early in the morning, if you can, it's pretty hard, like, looking outside today in Boston, it's like a hurricane. Um, but, uh, I try, I, I have a red light therapy, a red light device, um, from platinum led that I use as sort of a substitute. I can't say objectively how well it works. Um, but I use that, uh, in the early morning for five or 10 minutes, um, when I can't get direct sunlight, but I try to get direct sunlight out on my balcony, um, in the morning. And then at noon, when the sun is highest after lunch, I'll take a walk outside in the sun, um, and, and try to get sun on my skin. Um, I think that really helps. I, uh, sleep in a pitch black room with an eye mask as well with, uh, the AC blasting (laughs) to keep it nice. White noise. Oh, and and the white noise. Yeah, white noise and cold, yeah. I sleep with earplugs in. I tape my mouth to help me breathe through my nose more. Um, People can search more about this and and learn more about the science. Um, All those things have had a big impact. You know, having a wind-down routine where you read before bed, um, you're staying away from screens, you're blocking blue light at night, blue blocking glasses, or just staying away from screens generally because they can be stimulating even without the light. and I have a chili pad to keep me cool through the night. I, I really I've never heard of hardcore. people that have more sleep hacks than you. Yeah, yeah. But I will say- I never wake up. I've got a unique one for you. I've got a unique one for you. So all those things, that's my baseline. So you know I am like pretty pretty on top of my sleep, right? Yeah. Magnesium three hours before bed, et cetera. Like I am on it. Um, I was still getting- I'm still having this thing where, I, you know, even after I figured out the salt thing, like going to the bathroom eight times a night, uh, I was still having this thing where basically I would be in bed nine or 10 hours a night and I would still only get like an hour or less of deep sleep, which mm-hmm. isn't great. You're supposed to have like 20% deep yeah. sleep. Yep. Um, and again, this is measured by the aura ring, not perfect, I'm sure. But uh, I was, I cut out coffee because I found first hot coffee was giving me um, indigestion from the acid. Um, I basically get urgency and have to go to the bathroom right after I drink it. Um, and that developed over time on carnivore. It actually got worse. Then I switched to cold brew. Cold brew was great. It was fine. No problems. Eventually that started causing the same issues. This was over like years. Mm-hmm. Switched to caffeine pills. So I was taking one 200 milligram, like very basic Amazon caffeine pill, which is the equivalent of like a medium coffee at like 8 a.m. I found out according to 23andMe um, that I am an ultra slow caffeine metabolizer. So the average person has a caffeine half-life of five to six hours, I believe. So by the time you go to bed, um, you know, if you have caffeine at 9 a.m. in the morning, you go to bed at 9 p.m., 
you know, let's say a quarter or less of the caffeine is left in your body. So it, 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 adenosine and melatonin overcome that and you fall asleep quite easily and you sleep well throughout the night. For me, I, there aren't, I looked a lot for deep into the research of people examining this sleep gene and people call it a slow metabolizer, but a lot of the research just talks about like the instance of this gene versus a fast metabolism of caffeine in different populations, different um, groups of people, as well as how it affects like how much caffeine you consume. So fast mm. metabolizers most likely drink more caffeine because they need it because it wears off quicker. Yeah. But there isn't clear research I could find. I looked for a long time about like the average um, half-life of a slow metabolizer compared to a normal population. Mm -hmm. And even if I found it, it wouldn't be perfect because people vary so much. Yeah. But anyway, um, there were some estimates that it, the caffeine half-life could be as long as 12 to 18 hours yeah. with a slow metabolizer. So basically, if I'm having this 200 milligram tablet, and even at 8 a.m., um, there could be caffeine in my system the next day at 8 a.m. Yeah. When I take another one. <laughs> so, yeah. I, yes. think, I think it normal is eight. I think, you know what I've read, the half-life of caffeine is, is like eight hours. So it is, yeah. you know, if you if you're, if you have caffeine in the afternoon, it's going to affect your sleep. Yeah, definitely. So I was having it first thing in the morning, small, small tablet compared to what some crazy coffee drinkers drink. But, yeah. um, and, and I didn't feel like jittery at night. I fell asleep fine. No, like sleep onset issues. Um, but again, like my deep sleep was, was lower than I needed it. And I also felt I've always felt on carnivore uh, that I needed less caffeine and coffee was almost like unnecessary. Um, the caffeine, um, it has something to do with just how good you feel mentally on carnivore, even coming from keto, that caffeine is just like you're hypersensitive to it. Yeah. So I was like, let me try cutting this out. So I, what's convenient about taking caffeine pills is you can very easily um, dose them down. Yeah, that's so I got, get, a, get got a pill splitter ah. um, from CVS. And I started, so I, I went from, so it, it takes about three body three days for your body to adjust up in caffeine consumption for you to build a tolerance. So I, I, I don't know what it, how it works on the way down, but I just use that as a baseline. So I went from 200 to 150 for three days to 100 for three days, yep. 50 for three days, then zero. And I had no withdrawal symptoms nice. at all. Um, and I started sleeping way better, both with and without carbs. Uh, my deep sleep very quickly got closer to two hours per night um, and like an hour and a half on average. So uh, I think a lot of people, I, I resisted this. Let me tell you, I didn't love coffee. I don't think I was addicted to coffee, but I resisted. I was like a, a, mil, a 200 milligram tablet in the morning. Like, what is that going to do to me? It's yeah. not going to affect my sleep. But uh, partly you dropping it, um, Kevin, and yeah. also hearing others who had, who had done it successfully encouraged me to try this as a last ditch effort to fix my deep sleep. And I think it really worked. Yeah. That, I mean, that's awesome. You are like the model N equal one experimenter yeah yeah i try um i'm certainly not on like the tim ferris level but uh yeah just trying just trying to fix things trying to make my life better yeah I, I mean that's really what it's all about is like you know figuring out what to do to make your life optimized you know yeah to do, to do the things you want to do and feel the way you, you should feel uh, so any in closing here like any other things that you've learned either on your podcast or, or on your experience in your, you know, self-experiments, uh, any take-home messages? 
Yeah, I'll give you two. Um, so one is I'll say carnivore isn't black or white. So um, it, it can be different for people with autoimmune conditions, you know, people like Michaela Peterson, people with severe depression, arthritis, PCOS, et cetera. But the people who are just trying to improve their body composition, I think you covered this really well in your carb post, Kevin, which is some people are, you know, uh, 99% is easier to adhere to than 100%. And some mm. people, 95% is much harder than 100% right. um, in terms of dietary adherence. But carnivore, really a carnivore, at least if we define it biologically, is eating any meat at all. So saying the carnivore diet has to be all meat is, is kind of false. But names aside, um, I think most people would do well to have the majority of their calories from animal foods. If you find you what makes you adhere is having a little bit of avocado with your meals or some berries or some yogurt or, or whatever, um, you know, a, a, a piece of pizza once a week. I don't advocate that, but the carnivore diet isn't black or white. And I think people ripping Sean Baker apart for having a piece of birthday cake at his son's birthday. Um, it, it's just completely misguided. Like yeah. it's so different than, um, you know, people I know who are, who are vegetarian or vegan and they might not be even getting like 40 grams of vegan protein day. Like yeah. it's just so totally other end of the spectrum or, or a person who like goes into work and eats like popcorn and cereal and pretzels all day. Like yeah. they're not even thinking of, about their nutrition. I think yeah. nutritional awareness is the first step. And then after that, like eating most of your calories from meat, like you are in the 1%. Yep. And if, if you want to say, I have to be hundred percent animal based, go for it. That, that works for you, but not everyone has to do that. I, I think like the important thing that, you know, I, the message I try and spread is that meat is health food and it's, it's got a wrap as not health food. Like I think if people just was like, look, I choose to eat meat, choose not to eat meat, whatever, but to know that meat is health food and this other stuff can be damaging more or less, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I had to go to, I, what, what's the second takeaway? The second one is just share your story. Um, you know, if you've benefited from this diet, um, if someone, you know, has benefited, you know, share your story, whether it's on Instagram, a blog post, um, you know, not being shy about it at work. You don't have to be in people's face proselytizing, but, um, just put yourself out there, put your story on meat heels, um, share it in some Facebook groups because, um, you never know who will gain new inspiration from just seeing a different story of how it worked for you. Anecdotes are powerful. And if you can encourage more people to take that first step of examining what they eat and being a little more aware and maybe doing a self-experiment, um, that's huge. You've changed someone's life. Dude, I love that because I, for, stories are powerful. You know, we all relate to stories. And uh, if, we, if we wait for research to tell us that, oh, this is this is the way you should be eating after all. Like we will probably all be dead by the time that yep. that comes around anyways. So like there really is a lot of power in antidotes and stories and sharing. Uh, and like I tell people like that, you know, people are like, how do I get my significant other or this person to do this? I'm like, the way you're going to do it is like lead by example. If they yeah. see how great you feel and et cetera, like that's the leading thing. Uh, yeah. Model the behavior. All right. So Scott, thanks for all the time today. Now, of course. people can find you, of course, on Carnivore Cast. You're also on Instagram, posting great stuff, motivational. Uh, we get to see your meals. Uh, what else? Where else can we find you? 
Yeah. Um, so I recently got uh, some help from a great gentleman in the UK named James um, James Steiny. He's helped me to get all the past podcast episodes on YouTube. So if you prefer to watch on YouTube or listen on YouTube, there's there's really no no visual. But a lot of people listen to podcasts there apparently. So you can check me out there, carnivorecast.com. And yeah, any social media, just go to carnivorecast and hit me up, shoot me a message. Love interacting with people. Dude, awesome. This has been a great talk. Uh, so as always, good to talk with yeah, you. Yeah, really enjoy it. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Thanks for sharing all the knowledge. Keep the radio going. Dr. Kevin Stock has more coming your way. For exclusive content, visit www.kevinstock.io.